Thank you, worship team, for leading us to the throne of grace this morning. His truth is marching on. Well, good morning. Good morning. Let's try that again, shall we? Good morning. <laughs> I could try shalom too, but it is a good morning. It's good to be with God's people. Always good to be with God's people. Good to be with you, my brothers and sisters here at Faith Bible Fellowship today. Um, and it's good that we have the freedom to be able to congregate in this place and open up God's Word and glorify Jesus. Well, it was a couple of years ago, very different day than today. It was a, it was a cold uh, February Monday morning. I had to get out of bed and drive to Greenville, Tennessee. I was actually called to serve on jury duty. And there are mixed emotions when thinking about jury duty. In one sense, hey, I'm happy to serve, but in another sense, I'm a busy man. I've got people to see, places to go, things to do. So part of me wants to serve, but another part of me hopes that anyone and everyone but me is going to be chosen to go from the jury pool to the jury stand. Anybody been there? Anybody serve on jury duty? You have those emotions. But actually, it was really cool because I've been called to a number of wadirs, so to speak, where they pick the jury. But during this time, there were a number of people, the potential jurors were in this room waiting to go into the courtroom. And they showed us this video. It was a really cool video, a few minutes, talking about how unique, special, and important the jury system in America is. Did you know the American jury trial is actually a constitutional right? was included in the Sixth and Seventh Amendments to the Bill of Rights. Uh, did you know that jury trials prevent tyranny from the federal government and are part of our important unique checks and balances in our democratic republic? And did you know that jury trials provide an opportunity for us citizens to participate in the process of governing? In short, the jury system provides an active voice for we, the people. Now, although I wasn't called to sit on a jury that day, the experience was a very good civics lesson. You know, our constitutional democracy is a rather impressive political system. And you're probably aware that a good number of our founding fathers were actually God-fearing people. But maybe you did not know that our Constitution was actually patterned after a covenant God's covenant with ancient Israel. You say, well, what, what's a covenant? Well, a covenant is a morally binding agreement between two or more parties. American democracy was set up to be a government for the people, of the people, and by the people. In sum, the Constitution is a covenant between the government and people. Now, when we think about biblical covenants, those are also binding agreements. But these agreements are not between government and people. These agreements are between God and men and women. The foundation of these biblical covenants are bound in relationship, relationship between God and men and women. You know, our democratic system is a covenant of sorts, but did you know that today we as Christians, as kingdom citizens, are living under a covenant, and Pastor Chris mentioned it before, the new covenant. You see, the new covenant is at the very heart of God's redemptive plan for mankind. 
That's why I think it's important that we should seek to understand it, revel in its privileges, and seek to fulfill its responsibilities. For just as we as American citizens are born into the American system of democracy, so we as kingdom citizens are born again into what is known as the new covenant. This morning, we're going to briefly explore that new covenant. Anybody take civics in high school? I don't even know if they have civics today. But, you know, civics is the study of privileges and responsibilities of citizenship. So consider our time this morning a spiritual civics lesson of sorts as we study our privileges and responsibilities as kingdom citizens living under the new covenant. For it's important to understand our privileges and responsibilities as we seek to be the best kingdom citizens that we can be. So let's learn about the New Covenant today, what it is, who it's for, and most importantly, what does it matter? How does it apply for us as Christians today? So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 31, Jeremiah 31, and we're going to begin our time in God's Word reading verses 31 through 34 of Jeremiah chapter 31. And I was actually talking to Robin earlier, just before the service, and I was thinking, you know, when Chris and I talked weeks ago, I said, yeah, I'll bring the New Covenant message today. I had no idea it was going to happen on this weekend, but it's rather appropriate, seeing as we just partook of communion. It's Fourth of July weekend. Larry was kind of like, not quick on the uptake. I was oblivious. And then this morning, I had a revelation. It was kind of cool. It's like, that's pretty cool. So, Jeremiah 31, we're going to be reading verses 31 through 34. If you don't have a Bible, we've got the PowerPoint up on the screen, but I'm going to be reading Jeremiah chapter 31. We begin in verse 31, where we read, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand, to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Jeremiah here is sharing a prophecy with the Jewish people about the future. And maybe you're wondering, Larry, a moment ago you just said that the new covenant is for us as Christians. Yes, it is. We'll get there. But for now, we need to understand a little bit of the background. We need to understand that first and foremost, this covenant God made was made with the Jewish people. And when Jeremiah penned this prophecy, the northern kingdom of Israel had already been taken captive by the Assyrians about a century earlier, while the southern kingdom of Judah would soon be judged for their rebelliousness against God, being taken captive by Babylon in about 586 B.C., And Jeremiah provides the Jewish people a future hope in the midst of their present pain. And so we have this declaration given to Jeremiah from God, to the people. 
And interestingly, the majority of the remaining information about the New Covenant is actually found in what we say in Hebrew is the Brit Chadashah, otherwise known as the New Covenant Scriptures, better known to us as the New Testament. But first, I want us to notice the reason for the New Covenant back in Jeremiah 31. Look again at verses 31 and 32 as we unpack the reason for the New Covenant. The Word of God says in verse 31, Again, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. God has to make another covenant with the Jewish people because they broke the first covenant. Which covenant? The Mosaic Covenant, otherwise known as the Old Covenant. Just as the Lord delivered the Israelites out of physical bondage to Pharaoh in Egypt, he makes a covenant with Moses and the rest of the Israelites at Mount Sinai just following the Exodus. And while the Mosaic Covenant was certainly an affirmation of the relationship between God and his covenant people Israel, this covenant was conditional. It's very important to understand. This covenant was conditional. And this was the condition. And Pastor Chris, you stole my thunder before, brother. <laughs> this was the condition. If you obey my commands, you'll be blessed and it will be well with you. And if you disobey my commands, bad things, you'll be cursed. And you can actually read about the Mosaic Covenant in Genesis chapters 19 through 24. Under the Mosaic Covenant, God declared Israel to be a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. You see, a priests to the nations, to the goyim in Hebrew, the nations, the Gentiles. You see, God's redemptive plan was not and is not about Jews or Gentiles. God's redemptive plan is about people. And sometimes I like to say, I might, I might have said this a couple of weeks ago, but I like to say this because it's important. You know, knowing the Lord isn't about your Jewishness. It's not about your Gentileness. It's about your Jesusness. Do you know him? So Israel was called to be a light to the Gentiles because God so loved the world that he gave. Under the Mosaic Covenant, Israel was called to proselytize, bringing people from the nations called Gentiles, as I mentioned, into the worshiping community of the one true God. And we can see this inclusiveness throughout the Old Testament. If you, if you study the Old Testament closely, you will see this inclusiveness that God reveals to us at various places. For example, you see God, you remember that God sent Jonah to who? That The Ninevites, right? 150,000 Ninevites hear the message and repent. Ruth, not Jewish, a Moabitess, was included in the Messianic line of Jesus Christ. And in Isaiah 56, verse 7, the Word of God tells us that God said that he would make his house a reference to the temple, a house of prayer for who? For all the nations. Additionally, the Old Testament promised that Messiah would not only come to save the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but that he would also be a light to who? To the nations, to the Gentiles. And if you're taking notes, just jot down Isaiah 42.6 and Isaiah 49.6 if you want to 
do further study. So we see the reason for the new covenant. Israel broke the first covenant, the Mosaic covenant. Now I want us to notice the characteristics of the new covenant in verses 33 and 34. So back into Jeremiah 31, verses 33 and 34. Note the characteristics of the new covenant. Following the pain of judgment, Jeremiah declares the hope of promise found in the new covenant. Verse 33, Jeremiah 31. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law on their minds, write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. This is a future time when God will write his law on their heart. They will all know the Lord and they will all be forgiven. Who? The house of Israel and the house of Judah. Zechariah chapter 12 explains in detail a bit of this future reality which will occur at the second coming of Christ. When the Jewish people see Jesus, the scripture says they will see him whom they have pierced. And the word says that they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And then the word says in Zechariah 12.10 that God will give them a spirit of grace and supplication. They will believe and they will be saved. By the way, newsflash, that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> That's future, Okay. And I want us to listen to these words from Ezekiel 36, and I want us to note the similarity to New Testament concepts like cleansing from sin, the new birth, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel 36, verses 24 through 28, the Word of God says, For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Just as an aside, this prophecy in Ezekiel has been fulfilled, this, this sentence, because Israel in diaspora for millennia, now they're brought back into the land. That's why Israel becoming a nation again in 1948 is so significant prophetically, okay? This has happened, okay? God says, I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God." As believers in Jesus Christ, as Christians, we can certainly relate to these same promises of God, can't we? The Lord has cleansed us from all sin through the shed blood of Messiah Jesus. He has written his law on our hearts, and he has given us a new heart and a new spirit. Amen? All under the new covenant economy, if you will. But we have to ask this question. How is it possible that covenant, the new covenant, originally promised to the Jewish people in Jeremiah's time and ultimately fulfilled to the Jewish people 
at the second coming of Christ, how does that covenant apply to you and I as Christians today? Good question. Turn with me to Matthew 26, 27. I don't want to be a broken record, but Pastor Chris, thank you for setting the table for us, okay? <laughs> so we look at Matthew 26 and verse 27. We're going to answer that we're going to begin answering that question. Because while Jesus is celebrating the Passover meal at the Last Supper and institutes communion, he lifts up the cup as we lifted up earlier. And that cup, by the way, was the third cup, the cup of redemption at the Passover Seder. And he lifts up the third cup, the cup of redemption. And as we proclaimed earlier, he uttered these words. And he took the cup, and after he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. What we're doing this morning is we are connecting the dots, aren't we? We might have mentioned this last time. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. We want to better understand one. We want to study the other. This is the whole counsel of God. And right here, we're starting to connect the dots between the new covenant promised in the Old Testament through Jeremiah and the new covenant that Jesus announces and inaugurates at the Last Supper. And the blood of what covenant is he mentioning? Some translations render it the new covenant specifically. Other translations, the ESV, simply renders it covenant. But that's moot. The the blood of what covenant shed for the many for the forgiveness of sins is actually the new covenant. I want you to turn now to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15, where we unpack this new covenant economy a little bit more. By the way, Hebrews was written to Hebrews. Okay. I like to say that. I actually led a Bible study in Hebrews once, and it was a lot of fun. A Hebrew a study of Hebrews, led by a Hebrew. Hebrews 9, verse 15, the word says, Therefore he, a reference to Jesus, the Messiah, therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So a mediator is a go-between. Jesus brokers this new covenant relationship between God and man. In fact, Hebrews 9 verse 15 teaches us that the shed blood of Christ, the shed blood of Messiah was applied retroactively, meaning it also covered the sins of those who believed in God through the Mosaic or Old Covenant. Isn't that incredible? The difference being between Old Testament saints and New Testament saints was that Old Testament saints were saved by grace through faith in God and his promises, primarily the promise about Messiah. As New Testament saints, we are saved by grace through faith in God's fulfillment of that promise of Messiah. Jesus has come, and he's paid our sin debt in full on the cross. Under the new covenant promise, believers in Messiah Jesus, whether Jewish or Gentile, are now one together in him. As the Apostle Paul states in Ephesians 2, verses 14 and 15, Paul wrote, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, 
by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man out of the two. So, making peace. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? So the new covenant promise is partially fulfilled at Jesus' first coming. But the ultimate fulfillment of that new covenant promise to the Jewish people will occur at his second coming. And I want us to notice the contrast between a promise that is partially fulfilled and a promise that is completely fulfilled. Now, a few years ago, I took our son Elijah, who's now 16. A few years ago, he was, he was younger, but I took him to see Toby Mac in concert. Anybody? Toby Mac, DC Talk for you not-so-youngsters, okay? Saw Toby Mac in concert, and I purchased the tickets online and printed the e-tickets, and, you know, that was a promise partially fulfilled, right? I gave them my money, and they sent me a piece of paper that had value, right? Not a ticket to ride, a ticket to rock, Okay, but it was that was a promise partially fulfilled. But it was only when we showed up at Freedom Hall the night of the concert, showed our tickets to the usher, and they let us in, and we got to see Toby Mac rock and and minister the gospel. It was awesome. It was only then that the promise was completely fulfilled. And by the way, Toby Mac delivered the goods. He rocked, and he glorified Jesus. It was awesome. You know, as kingdom citizens living under the new covenant reality, today we also experience only a partial fulfillment of God's salvation. For example, when you and I trust in Jesus Christ, we are delivered from the penalty of sin, right? That's justification. And when we live our Christian life and we are being conformed to the image of Christ, we are being delivered from the power of sin. But it's only when we die and go to be with the Lord, or the Lord comes and brings us home, that we will be delivered from the presence of sin. That is the ultimate fulfillment of the promise. So yes, you and I as Christians, we have a ticket to ride, okay? It's called salvation in Jesus Christ. Because one day we are going to be with him, or he's going to come and take us to be with him. And heaven, it's a beautiful place to know that ultimate fulfillment of our salvation, a place where there is no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old has passed away, and the new has come in fulfillment. No existence of sin. It's going to be a beautiful place. And the application for us today as followers of Jesus is this, very simply. Keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Because just as the Lord Jesus is going to keep his promises to the Jewish people, he's going to keep his promises to you and I, Christians, the church. Amen? So we've, we've touched upon the new covenant promise, which entails much. But as new covenant citizens, okay, as, as kingdom citizens enjoying the new covenant, we also enjoy many, many benefits of which I'm only going to be able to touch upon a few in our brief time. First of all, I want us to remember that in Acts chapter 2, when the church is born at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and fills every believer. And that's important to note because you see under the, new, under the old covenant, under the Mosaic covenant, the Spirit only filled or fell upon certain people at certain times to fulfill specific purposes of God, primarily prophets, priests, and kings, 
Sometimes the Spirit rested upon artisans, like if you read the account of the building of the tabernacle, you'll notice that artisans were also filled with the Spirit. They were endowed with the Spirit. But, and you can remember a couple of references in the Old Testament. If you do a study of the Spirit in the Old Testament, you'll learn much about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. But you remember in Psalm 51, after David had sinned with Bathsheba, right? And in Psalm 51, he recounts that, that period of repentance and restoration and reconciliation with God. But in Psalm 51, David wrote, crying out to God that God would not take what? His spirit from him. The spirit's indwelling of all believers today is a huge privilege under the new covenant. Old covenant believers did not necessarily experience that blessing. Romans 5 verse 5 tells us that the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the spirit who was given us. Aren't you glad you're not a prophet, priest, or king, or an artisan of sorts? We're just regular believers, regular people who love the Lord, who've been blessed by his salvation. What are some other benefits of the Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit cleanses, sanctifies, and justifies us. The Spirit intercedes for believers before the Father. The Spirit leads us into truth. The Holy Spirit comforts us in times of affliction and hardship. And the Holy Spirit refreshes us daily, like today, with hope and with love. Another privilege that's important for us to understand under the new covenant is that Gentiles are grafted into the new covenant. Again, another layer of connecting the dots, so to speak. And if you study Romans 11, I'm just going to touch upon it, but if you want to do a lot of connecting of the dots, just jot down Romans 9, 10, and 11, and Paul really lays out a lot of connections between the church and Israel, Jews and Gentiles, and how it all works. In Romans 11, Paul compares Israel to the natural branches of a cultivated olive tree and Gentile believers to the branches of a wild olive tree. And then Paul writes that the natural branches, Israel, were broken off. And the wild branches, the Gentiles, were grafted in to the root, right? All part of the same tree. Gentiles, therefore, have been made partakers of the new covenant promise and inherit the blessings of redemption. And that's important to understand that, you see, God's salvation does not exclude Gentiles, nor is it exclusively for Jews. Remember I mentioned earlier, God's plan of salvation is not about Jews or Gentiles. It's about mankind. And by the way, if you're wondering, just to connect another dot for you, write down Hebrews 11. And every Old Testament saint, every saint in the, in the, can, in the heroes of faith, you know, the hall of faith in, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, they're all Old Testament saints. In fact, Enoch is in there. He wasn't Jewish. Noah is in there. He wasn't Jewish. Abraham was actually Chaldean. He wasn't Jewish, although the father of, you know, Abraham our father. You know, Jews sing that song and Christians, we sing that song. So they're in the hall of faith. Again, connecting the dots and seeing that God's plan of salvation before the foundation of the world was and is about people, okay? The only requirement to enter into the new covenant relationship with God is simply to trust in Jesus. And as theologian Ralph Alexander rightly notes, quote, forgiveness has no favorites. You like that? 
Forgiveness has no favorites. Finally, under the new covenant, if anyone is in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that he or she is a new creation with new hopes and new desires, new purposes. Our desire to love God and love others has nothing to do with old rules written in stone, but rather the law written on our heart. As the Apostle Paul explains in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So what is the law written on our hearts? Simply, it's not a set of rules, but rather a person. The law written on our hearts is not a what, but a who. The law written on our hearts is none other than the person of the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, which the Bible calls the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of life. And Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 2, these words, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Ponder that. That's pretty profound, isn't it? You see, although the law under the new covenant was holy, righteous, and good, as we mentioned, it couldn't save. It wouldn't save. It simply showed the people that they were lawbreakers, sinners in need of a Savior. And by the way, Leviticus 17 tells us that forgiveness was not found in obeying the rules. Forgiveness was found on the altar of sacrifice. Remember, Leviticus 17.11, the word says, and jot that scripture down, I'll just note it for you. The Bible says that in Leviticus 17, verse 11, God says, I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. So they were forgiven of their sins under the Mosaic covenant through their faith in the sacrifice that God provided, the sacrificial system. That's why in John chapter 1, John the Baptist says about Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who what? Takes away the sin of the world, right? There's no altar. There doesn't need to be an altar of sacrifice because Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is our one time for all sacrifice for sin. And because we have the law written on our hearts, we now have the power to love God and to love others. Yes, this laundry list of privileges under the new covenant is impressive. You know, it's good to understand the benefits of something that we have, right? Anybody here have a AAA card? Anybody? Okay, I have a AAA card because I need to have a AAA card, okay? <laughs> but every year they send me benefits. They send me this letter and they send me this benefits this benefits page is like one of those you know legal size things that's huge and I'm like it's pretty impressive if you've ever gotten one of those you know they've got things like home lockout service and identity theft support who knew I didn't know till I read the paper right but their bread and butter is roadside service now I've had to utilize roadside service a few times in my life actually a couple of years ago we were at Red Robin in Greenville South Carolina we were passing through and it's immediately after I shut the van door, I cried out, No! I locked my keys in the car. Uh, my better half, my beautiful bride, Lori, calm down, honey. Call AAA. They'll come, no problem. Open up the van. And they did. They came. 
and I was grateful. Now, perhaps there was a time in your life that you needed to use some kind of insurance or service that you had actually purchased and had, and it came through for you above and beyond expectations. Anybody ever have that before? You were actually shocked that it worked, and it worked above and beyond what you could have hoped for. Why? Well, it's possible that you had access to all kinds of benefits you didn't even know you had, i.e. today. The new covenant blessings we have, brothers and sisters, they're incredible. And they go on and on. You know, as believers in Jesus Christ, it's not about paying a premium or annual fee that gets us the, the benefits and privileges of the new covenant. It's simply by putting our faith in Jesus. Once we trust in him, we have access to the myriad of spiritual riches the Lord so graciously provides. By the way, if you're taking notes... Write down Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. You can study it. The spiritual riches we have in Christ. And by the way, if you're writing notes, in the original Greek, that was one run-on sentence <laughs> when Paul wrote it. Crazy stuff. But Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14, the privileges are immense. And what ought our response be to these myriad of riches under the new covenant as kingdom citizens? Praise and thanksgiving. Don't take these privileges for granted. Rather, ponder them. Praise God for them. And echo in your heart the words of the psalmist, who in Psalm 103 exclaimed, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So we've touched upon the promise and privilege of the new covenant, and they're awesome, aren't they? And today we're just touching upon it. But there's more. With privilege comes what? Responsibility. So let's conclude our time by looking at our responsibilities as kingdom citizens under the new covenant. And we find the centerpiece of new covenant responsibility found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, better known to us as the Great Commission. So turn with me to Matthew 28. We're going to read verses 18 through 20. And let's read about our Great Commission responsibility, okay? Matthew 28, beginning in verse 18, we read, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." Now, what does it mean to go and make disciples? Well, simply, a disciple is a follower. So making a disciple is actually twofold. First, it includes sharing our faith with those who have not yet entered into that new covenant relationship that comes through faith in Christ. But it also includes helping believers grow in that relationship with the Lord, right? So evangelism and being witnesses for the Lord is important, but the method of our mission as New Covenant believers, is different 
than it was for the Israelites under the Mosaic Covenant. You see, ancient Israel was called to be a kingdom of priests to the nations. But the Lord called them to shine the light, not to go out lest they fall into idolatry. They were called to shine the light of God and bring people into the worshiping community. You know, as Christians, we are called to go out, right, and take the light with us. So there's a major difference between the method of God's mission under the Mosaic Covenant for his people and the method for our mission as New Covenant believers. Making disciples also means that we support other believers' walk with God. In John 13, 34, the Lord said, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you also love one another. And by the way, there are lots of one another's in the New Testament. About 59, if the commentaries I read are correct, but there's many of them. For example, we are called to serve, to pray for, to instruct, to forgive, to confess our sins to, to carry each other's burdens, to submit to one another among them. For Jesus said these words, to whom much is given, what? Much is expected, right? With privilege comes responsibility. Now, if you have a job, you earn a paycheck. And one of the ways that you earn the paycheck is to fulfill your job responsibilities, right? And if you've ever received a scholarship, whether it be academic or athletic, you also have responsibilities. You have to go to class. You've got to go to practice, maintain a certain GPA. Many moons ago, I'm about to date myself, but that's okay. In the fall of 1991, I left Florida and I moved to Johnson City where I was an assistant tennis coach at East Tennessee State University. I was a grad assistant, meaning I was barely making it, <laughs> okay? They gave me a minuscule stipend, but thankfully they paid all of my tuition for grad school. But in addition to receiving a stipend, as I mentioned, they paid for my tuition. But you know, with that privilege came responsibility, I had to teach beginning tennis classes at the university. I had to coach the tennis team and travel with the team. Had to go to class and maintain a GPA. And most of us obviously can relate to the understanding that with privilege comes responsibility. And we get that. You know, as kingdom citizens, we ought to desire to fulfill our kingdom responsibilities under the new covenant, not in order to earn our salvation, and not in order to keep our salvation, but simply because we love the Lord, right? And Jesus himself said, if you love me, what? Obey my commands. So I should seek to desire to fulfill my new covenant responsibilities because I love the Lord. Question for us this morning is, each of us has been blessed with unique talents, resources, time. How are we using those to exalt the Lord, to expand the work of his kingdom, to go out and make disciples? How are we using those to fulfill the Great Commission? And I think this morning that's a real good question that we ought to ask ourselves. For as kingdom citizens living under the new covenant, God desires us to follow him. And as we do, we can walk in those good works which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, as we conclude our spiritual civics lesson this morning, I hope you've been enlightened, encouraged, and perhaps challenged. 
Because the new covenant, as we just touched on, is really a remarkable blessing, is it not, to those of us who believe. But perhaps maybe you're here this morning and you've not yet put your trust in Jesus Christ. You know, he's made all of these new covenant blessings available to you. He's made you in his image, but that image has been broken and marred by sin, and sin is what separates us from God, and that's why Jesus came. He came to die for your sins and rise again from the dead so that you could be reconciled to him and know the Lord and experience the abundant and eternal life that he promises. So if you've got questions and you've not yet put your trust in Christ, certainly come talk to Pastor Chris. You can talk to me, one of the leaders in the church, after we're done today, okay? Under the new covenant, we are currently living in what we call the age of grace or the church age. When God has focused his redemptive plan primarily upon the nations of the world. But there's some soon tomorrow, brothers and sisters, when God is going to turn his redemptive focus back upon Israel, back upon the Jewish people. And at the second coming of Christ, the Lord is going to restore Israel to their former place of glory among the nations. At the second coming of Christ, the Lord is going to place his law on their hearts. He's going to give them a new spirit. He's going to forgive them of their sin. And they will know the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I'm certainly looking forward to that day. Amen? Because that is God's plan, his good plan, his perfect plan, his plan that will not be thwarted and will not be squelched. Amen? Today, may we as God's people understand the new covenant promise, revel in our new covenant privileges, and seek to fulfill with all our hearts, by his grace and through the power of his spirit, our new covenant responsibilities. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we are humbled by your word, by your promises, through the provision of your new covenant. Lord, we just touched briefly upon it today. And Lord, we are grateful for your new covenant, grateful for the promise, grateful for the provision, grateful for the blessings we have through the person of Jesus. Lord, help us by your grace and through your spirit to fulfill our responsibilities as kingdom citizens living under the new covenant. Lord, we love you and we praise you today and thank you for all this and more. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen.